Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want to begin reading at verse 9. As I said, this is the first part of a two-parter. So if you get the first part, you really need to be back tonight and get the second part. Or you won't know what to do about the first part. How about that? Puts the pressure on you, doesn't it? <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, help me to make this clear today. I pray I can only do so much with words, but we need the Spirit of God to take the truth of this message into every heart. Help us to understand what you've made your church out of. Help us to understand how we should respond when we feel that we have been done wrong or slighted. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do a work in our lives today. And Lord, we'll thank you for whatever you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1969, going into the year, the worst team in baseball, and they had been the worst team for the first seven years of their existence, was the New York Mets. They were managed in the beginning by a man by the name of Casey Stengel, who basically was quoted by the media often simply because the things that he said didn't make any sense. He had been in baseball for a lot of years. He was like an earlier version of Yogi Berra later on. Their very first season, they lost 120 games, and that set a record for the worst record in baseball. Now, their first season was when each league added two more teams, and they became 10-team, uh, uh, each 10-team leagues, the American League and the National League. As a matter of fact, there was only one time that they finished higher than 10th, and that was that they finished 9th. They were a horrible team. So entering 1969, people figured it was going to be the same thing. They had one star pitcher at that time that was considered a star, and that was Tom Seaver. They had another pitcher on their roster that became a Hall of Famer, and that was Nolan Ryan. But still, he threw a hard fastball, but he really, he really wasn't a star yet. As a matter of fact, apart from those two players, they didn't have a star on their team. I mean, they had a bunch of journeyman players, people who only played part-time, that was it. You get to the end of May, and at the end of May of 1969, 
They were 18 and 23, and it looked like another so-so year. And then something amazing took place. They began to win games. And for the rest of the year, they finished the rest of the year after May, going 82 and 39, tearing up the league at a 678 pace. For those of you who don't know baseball, that's a lot. That's high. That's championship caliber. Nobody expected it. As a matter of fact, in their last 49 games, they won 38 and only lost 11. They beat out the Chicago Cubs by eight games. They were going to play in the divisional playoff, the Atlanta Braves. They beat them. They went to the World Series. And in the World Series, they were playing a powerhouse. That powerhouse was known as the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles had four pitchers that each won 20 games in 1969. All four of those pitchers would become Hall of Fame players. They had power hitters like Boog Powell on their team. Uh, they had, um, let's see, one of the Robinson fellas, and I can't remember his first name. Who was it? Brooks. Brooks, Brooks. Well, they had another Robinson, too, that played in the outfield. Frank Robinson, there you go. I mean, these guys, hey, we got some old people in here who still have their memory. They were a powerful team. So here was this upstart New York Mets with a bunch of names on the roster that nobody knew who they were playing this powerhouse of the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles, with Dave McNally pitching, won the first game, and everybody figured it would be a four-game series. Well, there were only four more games to be played in that series, all of them won by the New York Mets, the amazing Mets who came from the bottom of the league up to first place and a world championship with what they had. How could that possibly happen? Now, you say, why on earth are you giving the New York Mets as an example? Because really, when you look at what the church is made up of, it is absolutely fantastic miraculous that it could be as good as it is. You say, what are you saying, preacher? Well, do you see what it said here? When Jesus is answering these people, asking why he ate with publicans and sinners, it says, they, he said, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Now get this. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you read? There are, there are companies out there who have, who have employees that they call headhunters. Their job is to go out and find the finest qualified people and hire them for their company so that that company can be the best that they can be. When Jesus went about building his church, he went out looking for sinners. Do you realize that the church is made up of sinners 
that Jesus died for. This is phenomenal. And yet somehow you think you're going to go to a place that has done its best to recruit sinners and never get your feelings hurt? Do you think that a place that is full of folks who were sinners are always going to be at the top of their game and be nice to you? The truth is, a lot of people, they've got a false view of church. And by the way, when he found you, what he found was a sinner. And he added you to the group. Now, this is amazing stuff right here. When the Apostle Paul got to talking about Jesus coming the first time, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. When he gave his purpose after meeting with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he tells the church, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He is continually, even today, recruiting sinners. I guess everyone qualifies, don't they? You look at his first disciples. Let's take James and John, fishermen. Now, that doesn't make them bad that they were fishermen, Except fishermen are not known for telling the truth when it comes to the size of their catch. Isn't that right? But James and John, they had a problem. You remember, they got their mom to go to Jesus to see if Jesus would let them sit on either side of his throne in the kingdom. They were proud. Not only that, in the book of Luke, we find them going up through Samaria and in going through Samaria, some of the, the Samaritans didn't receive Jesus. And it was the sons of Boanerges, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, James and John, who spoke to Jesus and said, Hey, let's call fire down from heaven and destroy them. Jesus rebuked him. He said, You know not what spirit you're of. These are two of his disciples. These are two men that he called. And they're not saying, oh, let's just love them a little bit. If we love them a little bit more. No, that's, they were calling for their death. What about Peter? Here he calls Peter. Peter is the first in the list, in all the list of the disciples in the scripture. He's number one. And yet Peter is the man. Always it seems like he's opening up his mouth when he shouldn't. Jesus said of him in Matthew chapter 16, he said, you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You find Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times. You say, yeah, but he got better after that, did he? Have you ever read Galatians chapter 2? That when Peter went up to visit the church, it was at Antioch, and some of the Jewish believers from the church at Jerusalem went up there to visit Peter left the table where the Gentiles were eating and would only eat with the Jewish believers. And for that, Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face. Now, why should that surprise us, especially when you consider 
Those are the people that Jesus called. I look at the apostle Paul. Here's Saul of Tarsus. He got saved. He surrenders to serving God. But Saul of Tarsus gets saved. He goes to the church at Jerusalem. They wouldn't let him in. They didn't want anything to do with him. If it hadn't been for a man by the name of Barnabas, he wouldn't have gotten in to see anybody in Jerusalem. The church wasn't very forgiving of this man. You see, church had a problem. That was his introduction. From after being lost to getting saved and going into the church, those Christians wanted nothing to do with him. But that's not the end of it. In chapter 15, we find he and Barnabas getting into a spat over Barnabas' nephew by the name of John Mark. John Mark had turned back in their first missionary journey and they were getting ready to go on a second missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Paul would have none of it. As a matter of fact, the division was so great between Paul and Barnabas that they, and they were so angry with one another, they split asunder. And Barnabas took John Mark with him and Paul took Timothy and Silas with him on another missionary route. He had a temper. Shame on Paul. In Acts chapter 21, when he returns from his third missionary journey, he goes down to the church at Jerusalem. When he gets there, he gives them an offering from the Gentile churches that Paul had started. Now get this. After he gives them the offering, it is James, the pastor of the church, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, who says to Paul, listen, we've got believers in this church who've been saying you're teaching the Gentiles against the law of Moses. Now, he had taught no such thing. But here are these people in the church. They just get an offering from the Gentile churches. And here's the pastor listening to rumors against Paul. And he says, here's how you fix it, Paul. Well, Paul hadn't done anything that needed fixing. But here's, here's James saying, you go down to the temple. And at the temple, you, you do a, a pledge, do an offering with six of our men who have made a pledge to the Lord. So he goes down there with them to appease them. Somebody starts another rumor. The rumor was that Paul had brought a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile into the temple. He had not done it. It was just another, did you hear me say rumor? It was a rumor and it wasn't true. And for that, when that rumor got around, they wanted to kill him. The people at the temple wanted to kill him. And so the next day, when Paul is called out to give an answer for what he's done, for what they said he had done, Paul gets up to speak and he sees there's nothing there but Sadducees and Pharisees. James is not there. The six that he was with, taking the pledge with, they were not there. Nobody was there to stand up with Paul and he would write later and he would say at my first answer, no man stood with me. Where are those good Christians from that church? Why isn't that pastor there? I'm going to tell you, look at that. The church doesn't look that good in this. You would think Paul would have a reason to say, that's it, I'm done with the church. 
And that's one thing to have trouble with all these lost people. I have lost people who want to kill me. But it's another thing to have the church give me such problems. And yet every place Paul went, he started local New Testament churches. Here he starts a church at Corinth. Now it's a wicked city. Guess what he reached? Guess what he put in his church at Corinth? Sinners that trusted Christ as Savior. He was looking for sinners, and boy, he found a bunch of them. By the way, they're all over the place. They're all over Madison. They're all over Huntsville. They're all over Madison County. And that's what he was looking for, and get them saved. He taught them for about, uh, uh, for several weeks. After teaching them for several weeks, he goes on to start other churches. Three years later, he has to write back to them to rebuke them. After three years, the believers in that church, they were divided. They were divided over who their favorite preachers were. Now, those favorite preachers all believed the same thing. So how in the world they thought one was better than the other is beyond me. They had a problem. They had allowed a sinner in the church committing fornication, such sin that he was doing that wasn't even done by the Gentiles, and they thought they were being broad-minded. Paul has to rebuke them. That can't be allowed in the church of Jesus Christ. He said, but wasn't that a sinner that got saved? Paul does not doubt his salvation, by the way. But he tells them the next time they get together, they're to turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Do you realize that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, they even had some people in that church who were denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now here they were, here he was trying to reach everybody to start a local New Testament church and that is what he did. Those problems came. He rebuked them to get right with God. And according to 2 Corinthians, they got right about a number of things. But even with that, there were people still in the church, even after he wrote. Some claimed that he vacillated back and forth over things, that he was untrustworthy. Some said that he was worldly, that he was unimpressive in appearance. He had contemptible speech that he was unqualified to teach, had a lack of dignity, and some even suggested that he was deceitful. Now, none of that was true about Paul. So you think, here's an opportunity. Paul could have been thinking, hey, when I went to the church at Jerusalem, look how they treated me there. And here's a church that I started. I taught them better than that. And now they've gone astray. I'm fed up with the church. And yet he's going to write when he writes the book of Ephesians, husbands of your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He's going to refer to it as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ. And everywhere he went, he still started local New Testament church and he filled it up with sinners who got born again. Isn't that amazing? He starts a bunch of churches in the area of Galatia, which is the central part of what we know as Turkey today. He gets a number of people saved, but after he leaves town, some other people come in and start passing on false doctrine. That's happening in a lot of churches today. And some of them were swallowing the false doctrine. He finally says to them in chapter 4, am I become your enemy 
because I tell you the truth? Boy, it seems like all, he, all of his problems seem to be centered around the church. Sounds like it's time to just give it up. What's the point of going? What's the point in having? And yet, according to Galatians chapter 4, he tells us why the church, which is not a man-made organization, but a God-birthed organism that is there for the believers to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Church at Philippi, matter of fact, he was preaching at Rome. Paul was imprisoned. He writes to the church at Philippi and he says, there are some people here that are preaching just to add to my bonds, but I'm going to rejoice that Christ is preached. He doesn't turn his back on the believers. I mean, no one can deny that this great apostle, this great man of God had been done wrong by believers. As a matter of fact, he talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy. They were shipwrecked in the faith. But just because he saw a person or two men that weren't really believers, they were phonies, they were hypocrites. He didn't give up on church and he didn't give up on God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he tells us about a man who had been with him in prison even in one place, who had been a co-laborer with him. But he says, Demas hath departed me, having loved this present world. He had somebody that had ministered with him who had turned his back on God because he fell in love with the world. But that didn't stop Paul from loving God, loving Jesus, and serving Jesus all the way to the end. I just want you to get this, folks, that I don't care what church you go to. When it comes down to it, you fundamentalists, I got news for you. Any sin that you can name a fundamentalist does, so does some compromising emerging church person. Because all we have to pick from are sinners. That's where we get our people. Isn't it amazing for all the goodness the hospitals that have been started, the rescue missions to help the homeless and the down and out that have been started, have been started by churches. Isn't it amazing? The good things that have come out of churches. Hallelujah. It would seem if anyone had a reason to disdain the church. Hey, but what about the apostle John? God has him write a letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Five of those churches had drastic problems. They had problems doctrinally. Some of them had problems morally. Some of those had problems simply in their own heart. They were going through the motions, but things weren't real to them anymore. And he has to rebuke them. Now that's what Jesus had to recruit from. And if you're saved, he even recruited you. And he says, not the forsaking of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, considering where he got his people from, it's amazing the goodness that has taken place, but there's more to it than that. Churches have another problem. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I 
got my feelings hurt at church. Well, I'm surprised if you didn't. When you consider what's there, so grow up. No, you don't understand, preacher. I got hurt real bad. Yeah, a lot of people have. But it's not my church. It's his church. I want you to notice verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore... The tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be when? The end of the world. Are we at the end of the world yet? It may seem like it, but we're not. Did you see that? Do you know what happens? The devil has tares that look just like saved people so that you can't tell it. And in another place, he tells them you can't go and pluck them up now. Because you don't know. You don't know which one's a tear and which one isn't. You say, God's given me a special gift. Careful about that. Careful about that. I don't find any place we're commanded to be tear hunters. You better be careful. Unless you end up doing damage to people that are saved. I just want you to know that the devil sows hypocrites, sows tares, among the good seed. I don't know who is a tear here at Madison Baptist Church. Tear, T-A-R-E. In other words, they never got born again. People, when they come into the church, they have to say that they've been born again. And they have to either get baptized or they have to present a baptism from a church of like faith. And they get numbered with all the other members. And as far as we know, as we know, they're saved. But you realize that there have been people who were preachers who weren't saved? Deacons who weren't saved? Sunday school teachers who weren't saved? Now, I don't know what kind of a show that they put on. Obviously, most people, when they come into church, are on their best behavior. Of course, I want to say for some of them, if that's their best behavior, they're in trouble. But that's another matter. You see, you may get your feelings hurt at church by somebody who's a tear and not the real thing. So are you going to get mad at everybody else because that person hurt your feelings? Because they said something unkind to you or did something that they should not have done? Let me ask you a question, by the way. Have you always said everything you were supposed to say? Have you never lost your temper only to have to say I'm sorry later on? Have you always done everything exactly right? How about your marriage? Husbands, I'm talking, I'm not just talking to tares now, I'm talking to the real thing. 
Have you ever, or if you didn't say it, you should have said it. I'm sorry to your wife because the things that came out of your mouth to her, you'd have been embarrassed if any other believer would have heard it. But God heard it. Oh, wait a second. Well, it hurt my feelings. Well, don't leave God's house. Don't leave, leave God's people because somebody who may even simply be a terror, that's what the devil wants to do. The devil loved to empty the church of all God's people. That's what he'd love to do. So you give in to the devil because somebody didn't treat you right. By the way, if your Christianity means anything to you, it ought to settle to you on being faithful. Devil, do what you will. I'm going to stay right with God and serve God in his house. The internet is full of crybaby. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say crybaby Christians who have been hurt and sometimes genuinely hurt but they just can't get over it. Well, I believe in Jesus, you can get over anything. But somewhere along the line, you've got to realize that there are going to be some tears among the wheat. In my billfold, I hope I have one right now. In my billfold, I have a there's a one, there's a 10, there's a five. I thought I, I have a 20. I've got a $20 bill. Now, as far as I know, it's real. It's got that little strip in there that it's supposed to have. But it could be phony. I don't know. Anybody here an expert? You would know whether or not this is phony. Ah, I don't want you to tell me. I'm going to spend it like it's good. Here's the thing, folks. You could bring up here a bushel full of counterfeit $20 bills. I'm not giving away my good one. And you see a counterfeit Christian or you have one that hurts your feelings and you're willing to give up on all the good ones. You know, most of the people that get mad at church and leave church is because one person did them wrong. And they count the whole church responsible for that one person. And the devil laughs and says, you idiot. You sorry idiot. What are you doing? Well, I don't think church ought to offend you. Listen, if the word's being preached, you're going to get offended once in a while. That's just the way it is. Jesus offended people by the things that he said, but the things that he said were truth. So the church has the problem with terrors, but that's not all. You remember, one of Jesus' 12 disciples was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Now, he was never a believer like Peter was a believer, like James and John were believers. Jesus said in John chapter 6, have not I chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil. But isn't it interesting that later on when Jesus said this night, one of you is going to betray me. All the other disciples doubted themselves before they doubted Judas Iscariot. He had that kind of a testimony that was so good that everybody doubted themselves before they doubted him. He was the treasurer. And by the way, he was also a thief, the scripture says. You know, 
I, we get to where we hold grudges and things. It reminds me of the latest Discover commercial where you've got this lady talking with a Discover representative. They're sitting in a restaurant. And he says, we do this, this, and this. And she says, that's just for me. She said, he said, no, all of our Discover customers uh, get that. And she said, even, she gives some female's name, but she tore my notebook up years ago. Even she gets it? Yeah, even she gets it. Somehow we think, you know, but they've done something wrong. They don't deserve the presence of God. They don't deserve to be blessed of God. You watch your mouth and watch your heart. Watch your thinking. It's amazing what God's done in this church. By the way, churches have another problem. And, and because everybody at church is at a different stage of spiritual growth. How many here have been saved for 50 years? Would you raise your hand? You've been saved for 50 years. I've been saved for 50 years. All right. Uh, some of you got saved when you were kids. I didn't get saved till I was 22. But a bunch of you have been saved for 50 years. All right. How many here have been saved for 30 years? Raise your hand. Not 50 years, 30 years or a little bit around there. All right. How many of you have been saved for 10 years? Oh, a lot of you have been saved. Anybody here just been saved for five years or less? Five years or less? Yeah, we got several five years or less. And the truth is we don't all grow or spiritually Age the same way. Some are babes, some are carnal, and some are spiritual. Now, the babes, they just got born again. I, I don't know if you recognize this or not, but when Christians, when people, a sinner first gets saved, he doesn't know a lot yet. He's got a lot to learn. He doesn't always know how to talk. Sometimes... Some things will come out of their mouth, shouldn't come out of their mouth. But they'll learn that. As a matter of fact, normally, here's a lost guy. Uh, he's, got, he's got long, shaggy hair, all of that. He gets saved. He comes to church. He's excited about it. He comes to church. He comes forward to let everybody know he's gotten saved. And here's some Christian back there thinking, man, he needs to cut his hair. He just got saved. You don't even have to talk to him. In just a few weeks, he'll come to church, it'll all be cut. He'll grow. He'll grow. The Bible says, doth not even nature itself teach you if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. So he starts getting into the Bible, he'll see that, he'll get it cut. Matter of fact, I remember we had one guy, first time he got it cut, I mean, you could just see the bottom of his ear. I mean, he had long hair, got it cut to there. A couple weeks later, it was on the ear, but up to here. And he ended up in another couple of weeks. Man, it was like he was going to the Christian school. It's too old for the Christian school, but nevertheless, it's just amazing how getting saved, you just start growing. There are things you start learning. I, I remember when David Lewis got saved. We took a mission trip to Mexico. That was an experience, wasn't it, Brother Wally? But he had just gotten saved. He hadn't been saved long. And I, I mean, there were just some things he said that, yeah, they weren't, they weren't bad, bad words, but they just weren't words you'd use in mixed company. And we just kind of look at one another. By the time we came back, David surrendered to the mission field. And now he's been serving as a missionary for I don't know how many years. But he was just a babe in Christ back then. You got to let babies grow. Isn't that right? Got to let them grow. 
And then you got some people that are spiritual, and the spiritual, let's face it, you're not understood by a lot of Christians. And you're not understood because they haven't gotten to where you're at yet. But then you got carnal people in the church. They should be spiritual Christians by now, but they won't make the decisions that they need to make to get spiritual. They're still Christians. They're going to heaven. Paul said to the people at Corinth, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there's among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You know, it's amazing that good things could come out of churches when you've got what Jesus recruited were sinners. He fills up the church with them. Sinners that he redeemed, yes, but he doesn't redeem them and make them adult spiritual Christians that first week. It's going to take a while. And then you've got carnal Christians who should be more spiritual than what they are, but they won't make the decisions they need to be to get it. So yeah, and then we got another problem. Here's a problem. I look around, and man, I don't see anybody that doesn't have this problem. It's a horrible problem. It's a horrible problem. Paul says in Romans 7, 18, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to find that which is good I find not, or perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, the evil that I would not that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Even Paul recognized this flesh has got a problem. As a matter of fact, when he writes in Galatians chapter 5, he says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then he goes through a long list of things that are not good. Every one of us have flesh on us that's trying to get us into sin and away from God. Everybody here's got it. I mean, the preacher's got it. The deacons have got it. The Sunday school teachers have got it. Sometimes we don't act like we want to act. Some of you look surprised. You're scaring me to death. How in the world can God accomplish anything good out of this group? But it's his church. He's the one that set it up. The only way, the only way that he can do it is he redeems us. He redeems us. He loved me, Mike Allison the sinner. Jesus died for Mike Allison, the sinner. He rose from the dead three days later for Mike Allison, the sinner. He gave the book, God's truth, the gospel, so that Mike Allison, the sinner, could be saved. He sent a soul winner and a, a church that preached the gospel so I could hear the gospel and that this sinner could come to Christ. When I look at the mess Mike Allison was and is, even Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forth on those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Yeah, I'm not everything I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I was. By the way, thank God I'm not everything I'm going to be. That's coming. And hallelujah. He's still working on me and he's still working on you. But you don't know, preacher, you don't understand. I've been hurt. Who hasn't? But it was really big. Who hasn't had those? But it's his church. I'm not leaving his church. I'm not leaving the place that he calls the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. It's not going to happen. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the what? The ungodly. For scared, that's us. That's everyone here. Everyone. Everyone. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He looked down at us. Man, we deserve hell. If I died right now, I deserve to go to hell. But I can never go there. Because he died for me, he saved me. I have eternal life. Yeah, we may be full of sinners. Thank God we've got a great number of sinners saved by the grace of God. Whose destiny is heaven. And do you realize this is a, not a place of perfect people. It is a place of sinners who've been saved. This is a hospital. This is a spiritual hospital that we need. That's why it gives us the word of God and tells us to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, all of that. That's for us. That's what we need. So the next time you think about complaining about the church, are you sure you're not complaining about a tear or even a few tears? Are you sure you're not complaining because somebody got carnal? By the way, everybody's hurt somebody, but the Bible says it's impossible But what offenses will come. You'll say things, even Job's three friends, as good as what they were, they misjudged Job. They got it wrong, and God had to get after them. And you say, but preacher, how in the world do you deal with that? I'm going to tell you tonight. You got to come back for that. I'm going to enjoy that part more than I've enjoyed this part. All right? But it'll help you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. God, help us to understand that perfection comes when we get to glory. It is not now. And the church is what you provided for our growth and our service and our walk with you. You have given us the truth. Now, Lord, may we stop living on our feelings and living on past hurts. Nobody gets through this without being hurt. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would deal with our hearts tonight. We need to put some things aside so we may better serve you in your church. Have your way in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name.